THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Ha-cha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 515 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast, Kitties. My name is Matt Bomb. And I'm the internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's Midwinter episode, we're reviewing eight of this Wednesday's new comics with spotlight reviews on Guardians of the Galaxy number one and the return of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Then it's down to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where... We'll discuss our must-read picks for next Wednesday, and finally, Nerd TV was completely overwhelming this month, but we are going to talk about the return of the Punisher, Star Trek Discovery, and the new Deadly Clash shows, so you don't have to. No, I'm just getting one here from you, too. But before we start offending Frost Giants with our anti-giant racist banter, we better talk about this week's Nerd News! The first teaser trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home has been released by Sony Pictures Entertainment and, oh boy, did it fill me with delight. We get our first looks at the villains of the film as well as Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio playing the hero? Uh, maybe, sort of, kind of. Yeah, let's get into it, Matt. What did you think? Okay, so my guess here, if I'm calling my shot, Mysterio is creating these illusions and making it look like he's fighting them. Right. When really he's, he's playing them for reasons like, yeah, like he's a fake hero or something. Yeah. Yep. Totally. That's like, it's gotta be it. No, Uh, I thought Jalen Hall's costume looks perfect. Oh, you got the bubble head. Absolutely. Perfect. You got the purple costumes that has no business working on screen and it totally works. They nail it. They nail it. It looks great. Yeah, it looks totally great. Uh, so it's- the trailer features uh, what people are very excitedly claiming to be uh, Hydro Man, Sandman, and Molten Man. Mm, uh, I we don't, shall see. I don't think so. I think that I don't think so either. I think it's all Mysterio. It's all Mysterio. That's a given in my book. But uh, I believe that the producers have already revealed that the quote-unquote villains of the movie is this obscure group of Marvel villains called the Elementals. Really? And it doesn't really have anything to do with Sandman, Hydro-Man, or Molten Man. But huh, that's we, odd. Yeah, we will see. Uh, but, you know, like like you said, if it's all an illusion, then it doesn't need to be anybody real. Right. I'm just glad that Spider-Man's not dead, because I was pretty sure we saw the last of him in that last Avengers movie, and we were never going to see him. Yes. Uh, that was another thing. <laughs> that was another thing I saw was people saying, oh, this obviously takes place before Infinity War, right? And Kevin Feige said, no, this takes place minutes after the conclusion of Avengers Endgame. Really? Yeah, the, the, this movie starts minutes after the conclusion of Avengers, of Avengers Endgame. Okay, I didn't um, know that. All right. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff that they just kind of breeze by, like Aunt May working with him. Happy Hogan's still around. Sam Jackson is here. Nick Fury shows up. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, he gives him a bunch of cool different suits. There's like a red and black variation. There's like a Spider-Man noir suit. I'm guessing Tony built all these for him. We will see. There is a conspicuous absence of Tony Stark in this trailer. 
That is true, which means he could be dead. Uh, I think Marvel's playing Tony's fate pretty close to the vest. But yeah, uh, we'll find out. But so far, first trailer, I'm very happy. Just Looks great. Knocked it out of the park, man. I'm, yeah. I can't wait for this movie. I'm so excited. In Star Trek news, we have got a Star Trek Discovery spinoff on the way. Star Trek Discovery's Philippa Georgiou, played by actor Michelle Yeoh, is getting her own TV spinoff, according to Deadline. Yeoh will reportedly continue on Discovery while this new show is developed simultaneously. Yeoh is dead on Discovery. Are you not caught up on Discovery, Matt? Yes, I just watched the first episode of season two. She is still dead. Do you not remember what happened in the back half of season one, Matt? <laughs> I remember the evil one. Yes, it's the evil one. Oh, the new show is being developed by Eon Kim and Erica Lippold. According to the announcement from the Discovery Twitter, the new series centers on Giorgio as part of Section 31 Division. I'm not going to go into all the quotes. Yeah, so if you don't, uh, if you're not aware, Section 31 was... Uh, it first appeared in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Okay. I and, vaguely remember this. Uh, and yeah, they try to, rec- they try to recruit Bashir. Uh, it is Star, oh, yeah. it is Starfleet's like black ops division. Right. It's their MI6. Totally off the books. Yeah. I love it. Okay. If you were paying attention, you, like I said, Yo's original character died early on in discovery, but the actor returned as a mirrorverse version of Giorgio. She had like an evil beard and mustache and everything. Yeah, like, yeah a goatee, right? This alt reality Giorgio eventually ceded power and started a new life as a cabaret owner and was later recruited by Section 31. This sounds so cool. We've never seen Star Trek Black Ops before. Yeah, only like the glimpses we got in Deep Space Nine. I'm, I'm into seeing this side of Starfleet. Uh, the problem is mirrorverse... Captain Giorgio is a complete monster. Yeah, she was a psychopath. She was a dictator. She was the emperor of the Terran Empire. She also had to be, though, to be who she was. Yeah, she's very bad. She is not good. She's not a good person. It's going to be hard to root for her. Well, um, new so, universe, new rules. I mean, like yeah, we'll, we'll see, how, see. She, how she adjusts. I, I loved, first of all, I loved her as a captain, and then I loved her when she showed back up as Mirrorverse. Yeah, I like, was totally- Totally Man, stunned it by it. It was so great. Yeah, we're going to get into this later in the episode, but uh, the, the back half of Discovery Season 1 is a real fucking trip. <laughs> it was uh, something. <laughs> this is going to be the third live-action Star Trek show in development, joining Discovery and the forthcoming Captain Picard series. I like that they are setting different tones for all of them. It's not just like another ship, another captain, another mission, you know? like Right, it's totally I different. I think they're doing this right. Right. Like at like like Deep Space Nine started at the same time that uh, Next Generation was still going, and to be fair, Deep Space Nine was not just another. That's ship, what I'm saying. Mission. Like it was different. It wasn't. It was a space station, and it was a, centered around a very volatile area where they were monitoring right. like a civil war, basically. It was like a Starfleet sheriff at the OK Corral in space, you know, and it was uh, totally different in tone than Star Trek: The Next Generation. Or at least different in um, setting and and the the way things developed. And, and in the this, first episode, Benjamin Sisko goes, "Ow!" <laughs> he makes this totally bizarre noise. I'll never forget. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this looks like uh, this sounds like it's going to be totally fun. I love the idea of Section Thirty One, and I'm really into more stories set in the Discovery universe. Absolutely. 
Finally, in comic news, get ready for Rob Liefeld's triumphant return to Marvel. Did he ever really leave? I know. That's, I mean, honestly. It's press release time. Who is Major X? Better question, who cares? This April, the truth (laughs) will be revealed in an all-new six-issue miniseries written by the creator who introduced the world to Deadpool, Cable, and X-Force industry legend Rob Liefeld. Major X introduces a new character who is certain to mix up everything in the X-World. Oh, that Major X, always mixing things up. Yep, that's what he does. He hails from another existence, which is called the X-Istance. I don't get it. A mutant Shangri-La, a safe haven that has been a realm where mutant kind has lived in peace and harmony. They escaped there following a tragedy that befell mutant kind and built this community, but then a terrible event happens. Doesn't matter what. A terrible event happens within the existence that causes Major X to cross over and land in the Marvel Universe that we know. Everyone died of dysentery. Yeah, it's a real... (laughs) They pooped until they died. It's a real Oregon Trail situation. They didn't bring enough lemons. No, wait, that's scurvy. Okay, so let's just get into it. We don't need to read any more of these quotes. No, no, definitely not. Now, we know that Rob Liefeld is having a bit of a renaissance with some of these younger creators that fell in love with his stuff when they were growing up. Right. And I get that. I totally get it. And you know what? I loved it when I was young, too. Yep. I read his New Mutants, and I loved it. I loved his Cable. I, I loved his Deadpool. I loved all of it. Now, I would go on to argue the best things that happened to Deadpool, Cable, and X Force were all done by other creators. Yes, that is 100% correct. <laughs> that is not taking anything away from Rob. Thank you for your creations. I appreciate what you've done, sir. Do I need Rob Liefeld back today? I, Absolutely I, not. I don't need Rob Liefeld s- steering major developments in the X-Men universe. <laughs> Absolutely not. And all this is, it, this sounds like a desperate cry for help from the X-Editors. They don't know what to do. They have no clue what to do. Well, they're so rudderless that they're reaching back to Rob Liefeld to try and like inject some excitement into this. No pun intended. That is not excitement, ex- by the way. Excitement. Ex- <laughs> yeah, it is. You, it is now. This is it, this is just. I don't care. And the design of the character is stupid. It looks like any other Rob Liefeld drawing. He has not matured at all. It's in just his art. It's just a dude covered in uh, straps. With guns. It's just... And he, oh, don't forget the motorcycle helmet that has an X for a visor yep, that you right. wouldn't be able to see shit out of. Yep, exactly. Well, unless you're, a, unless you're a major X. This is just dumb. This is dumb. I don't get it. And I think it's just desperate. I think it's absolutely desperate. Well, I don't... See, I don't know about that because, like, what do they really think it's going to accomplish? Do they really think that thousands of readers are going to flock back to the X-Men? Maybe. I don't know. Why else do you do this? Why is this being done in a separate five issue miniseries and not in the main books? I have no clue. I I have no clue. I don't get it and I don't care. No, I don't care either. And I just, I love Rob Liefeld. You know, I met the dude. He was super nice. He was affable. He's a very sweet guy. And like I said, I'm thankful for everything that he has done for comics. Like this is not exciting. This is not exciting news. Stop that. Stop saying that. Uh, if the mystery you, of Major X oh, begins this April. For more information on the series, you can go to marvel.com and see the totally extreme pictures of the dude with the X motorcycle helmet on. Wait, can we please Ugh. can we please really quick talk about that promo image they released with the beast and his mutton chops going straight up at an angle? Yep. 
That's not how hair works, Rob. No, no, it's not. But that's how hair works in the Rob Leefield verse. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we already missed plenty of stories while perusing our Rob Field art books. We have several in the ziggurat, my favorite being the art of brigade. So hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover Live every Saturday, where we broadcast on our Facebook Live page from 11.30 to 12.30 Central Standard Time. It's like sports talk for nerds. You control the content, and it isn't any fun if you don't show up. It's just more Joe and I fighting with each other and making fart jokes. So call us, 402-819-4894, or click the Call Now button on our Facebook page. If you can't be there live, or maybe you don't like the Faces book, whatever, you can leave us a message on the phone number, or you can send us an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com, and we will play your call. I prefer the Blood Wolf Gallery. <laughs> I forgot about Blood Wolf. I was more of a troll man myself. Troll, yeah, <laughs> troll, yep, yep, yep. Don't get me wrong, I loved Bedrock, but when he became Bad Rock, that's when I was in. <laughs> Off to the races. <laughs> It's Spotlight Review time in the Ziggurat, and this week, Joe and I have been reminiscing about our time at Sunnydale High way back in the day. Joey, you were valedictorian, weren't you, as I recall? Uh, yes, I was, and I narrowly avoided getting eaten by the snake. <laughs> Joey, take these kids back to the hellmouth, will you? Gladly. Uh, my main review this week is, I'm sorry, my spotlight review this mm-hmm. week is Buffy the Vampire Slayer number one from Boom Studios. Written by Jordi Belair with art by Dan Mora and colors by Raul Angulo. It's 32 pages for $3.99 and here is your solicit. Go back to the beginning as the critically acclaimed pop culture phenomenon Buffy the Vampire Slayer is reimagined under the guidance of series creator Josh Wheaton. This is the Buffy Summers you know who wants what every average teenager wants. Friends at her new school, decent grades, and to escape her imposed destiny as the next in a long line of vampire slayers tasked with defeating the forces of evil. But her world looks a lot more like the one outside your window as Eisner-nominated writer Jordi Belair and Russ Manning Award winner Dan Mora bring Buffy into a new era with new challenges. Blah, blah, blah. You get I always it. thought the Russ Manning Award sounded like a baseball award. It kind of does, yeah. Like he was a really good shortstop. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Buffy is back, and now we finally know how this new relaunch fits in with past stories. It doesn't. At all. Don't get me wrong. All of your familiar favorites are there, including a couple that didn't enter Buffy's life until later in the previous continuity. It's almost like an Ultimate Universe version of the world Joss Whedon created 20-plus years ago. Writer Jordi Belair is wisely telling her own story rather than adapting things we've seen and read before. It feels fresh and familiar at the same time. Belair nails the character's distinct personalities and does a good job conveying the teen experience, social awkwardness, the pressure of adult expectations, through the lens of supernatural conflict. She also sets up a couple of interesting twists for the main and subplots, which will be pretty fun to see play out. There's even a nice piece at the end where different Boom staff members talk about Buffy's cultural impact and what it means to them personally, and I really hope that those stories continue in future issues. 
I cannot say enough about Dan Mora's art. We raved about him a few weeks back when Matt reviewed Klaus, and he is at the top of his game here. Mora almost effortlessly gets to the essence of each character, nailing the likenesses to an actor when appropriate and then relaxing it when necessary. He's not slavishly devoted to photo-referencing Buffy's original cast, but every character still feels right. There were a lot of questions surrounding this Buffy revival, and now that we know what shape the story is starting to take, there are still a lot of questions, but that's what I liked about it so much. If you're going to reset a very well-known property back to the beginning and bring it to the modern day, this is how you do it. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, Dan Mora, going from what we saw on Klaus most recently to this, proves that he can slightly change his style to do whatever you need him to do. Literally anything. He's a little more cartoonish here, and not so much photo-referenced, but you obviously see who these actors are. Right. To the point with that, I mean, it's not annoying at all, but it was obviously, this is definitely Xander, that is definitely Buffy, that's absolutely Giles, no question. Right. Without going the full-on Greg Land photo reference, right. you know what I mean? Like, there are there are panels where, uh, in, in, like, quieter panels where it's just people sitting around talking, it's like, that is obviously Sarah Michelle Gellar. That's right. not just a drawing that looks like Buffy. That is a drawing of Sarah Michelle Gellar. No, but I think Mora is truly an underrated, complete badass. And he does a wonderful job on this book. They did go for a lot of... Jordi Belair's script, that is, went for a lot of sort of easy Joss Whedon tricks with like the Xander jokes and stuff. I didn't hate it, and it made me feel right at home. Right. Like, it brought me into it without feeling like they're aping Joss Whedon. This was fun, and that's really what I needed it to be. I like the Dark Horse Buffy, but it really did get bogged down in a lot of heavy drama. And that's one thing that Buffy the series, the television series, never really did. As dramatic and huge as things got, there was still lighthearted fun to it. No matter what was going on, there were still moments where I'm like, okay, they're still kids, they're still friends, yeah, man, and I still feel good hanging out with these When guys. her mom's brain tumor exploded, that was just like, light breeze. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying it was hilarious, but I'm saying they could deal with it in ways that made them feel like real people with humor. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. That's very much here. And this was way better than I thought it was going to be. I'm interested more. I'm giving it a buy. Like, I really do think that ultimate Buffy is the best way to describe it. No, without a doubt. This is ultimate Buffy. It's all of the things that you know and love remixed in a way that will not be boring. Well, I can't remember who talked about it in cover to cover. I think it may have been, been uh well not important but they brought up the fact that like buffy having a cell phone fucks everything up yeah on the old show like literally ruins everything we're like oh my god we gotta tell willow hold on let me call her willow get out of there i I think in the first episode in the first episode of the of the show she tells somebody to pager yeah i believe so like if you need need me beat me or something like that so, right. I mean, it seems like they're finding creative ways around that or just ignoring it so far. And I don't know. I had a lot of fun with this. Yeah, it was really good. All right, Matt, shift us from the supernatural to the cosmic, will you? My Rev Spotlight review this week is of Guardians of the Galaxy number one. It's from Marvel. It's written by Donnie Cates with art by Jeff Shaw. It is $4.99. I believe it's 48 pages. I did not count. And they didn't give me a page count. Here's your solicit. Who will stand? The universe is on fire. Hundreds of worlds at war. Never has there been such hatred and division across the cosmos. And in spite of all this, Thanos of Titan is still dead. 
Or is he? Oh, he dead. Now! More than ever, the cosmos needs the Guardians of the Galaxy. But in the aftermath of the Infinity Wars, who is left to answer the call? Featuring every cosmic superhero in the known universe. And they ain't kidding. By the Thanos Wins creative team, Donnie Cates and Jeff Shaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Donnie Cates has been given the tough job of making the Guardians title interesting again. Which could be tough for any other writer. But keep in mind, this is the guy who made me enjoy reading a monthly Venom comic. By the way, it's still great. Issue 10 is... It's so good. (laughs) When he told the kid at the diner that it was his service dog, I laughed and laughed. It's so great. I was fine with the Bendis run for a while, and Jerry Duggan did a good enough job picking up the series and running, but after a while there, Guardians fell into this humorous malaise. Not much was happening other than the team making fun of each other and returning the status quo with each story. From page one, Kate's is shaking things up. Thanos is dead. Not dead with an exclamation point, but maybe more dead with a question mark. And all of the galaxy's heroes are worried. I mean, he has no head. Mm, I don't think that's a big problem for a guy like Thanos. (laughs) The book opens with a spread of nearly every Marvel Cosmic U character that I love gathered to discuss Thanos' recent passing and what happens next while Peter Quill and the newly talking Groot, which I don't love, are looking for a new crew. This is the truly nuts Guardian book I expected from Kate's, and it looks like it's going to be a ton of cosmic fun. Buzzkill and the latest Thanos series penciler, Jeff Shaw, continues his badass work here, taking time to give each of the myriad of characters in this book a distinct look and detail. His askew paneling lends itself to this space opera perfectly, and man, is his Star Fox sexy. All I wanted here was fun. And that's exactly what this creative team is delivering. Guardians is shifting to a massive cast with a massive cosmic story peppered with the humor we've come to expect. I'm giving this a massive buy it. Uh, Yeah, dude, it was really good. And I love this creative team. I love Jeff Shaw. I love him so much. His art is so great. He's so talented. Uh, And I, I really like that they're not afraid here to get away from the movie cast. And yeah, just say, right. Yes, exactly. We're mixing it up. People are going to go to the movie one way or another, but we want the real nerds to have fun with the comic. They're not slavishly devoted to that team anymore. And I like that. Yes. Yes. I love the new roster. Um, you know, we, the, the promo stuff, uh, started out kind of advertising this huge roster and then saying like, who will be the new guardians of the galaxy? When in reality, it looks like the new guardians is a pretty tight, team maybe but with some surprising additions that i really love yeah we don't know this might be the team this might just be a temporary crew we don't know i think the group at the end is the new guardians but uh we will see um i loved all of the cosmic peeps showing up at the beginning i loved like the war council with star fox leading the way oh man that's Um, great Oh, Guardians uh, here. The Star Jammers are here. Right. <laughs> Love it. Uh, you know what? I mean, you. By the way, Scott's dad is here. He's not dead. No, that he hasn't been dead for a while now. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah. know he came back. Yeah. I remember there was that whole series uh, where young Cyclops went into space with his dad for a while. Yeah, I That's, guess. Wasn't yeah. that a time thing? No, thing? no, no. It was, oh. it was young Cyclops that, that beast brought back, you know. Oh, that's right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. It was really good too. But yeah, this was so good. I'm, I'm 
like you said, I think the Guardians books kind of lost their way after the Abnet and Landing stuff. Like Bendis and Duggan are good writers, but I just don't really think that they had a a good handle on what to do with these characters. Uh, and I think that this is a great mix of new and old people. Uh, I love the developments with some of the uh, existing characters. But yeah, this is a great relaunch of a series by a great creative team with great characters. I am in 100%. It is a buy it from me. So that is a double buy it for both Buffy number one and Guardians of the Galaxy number one. We'll post our written reviews over at twoheadednerd.com so our former high school principals can use them as a cautionary tale to wayward students. After watching the Punisher take down rooms full of baddies for several episodes, Joe and I decided to put on our mystic lucha masks, head to the nearest hive of scum and villainy, in this case, the local steampunk meetup, and whoop some ass while we review eight more of this Wednesday's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Ludicrous Speed Go! Blossoms 666, number one from Archie. The latest addition to the Archie horror line sets up Cheryl and Jason Blossom as Satan worshippers raised in a cult. Writer Cullen Bunn and artist Laura Braga show us the Blossoms as tricksters meddling in their friends' lives with what seems to be murderous intent. This first issue didn't grab me like the other Archie horror titles, but it's a good start with excellent art by Braga. I will stick around to see where this goes, but I was hoping for a little more satanic fun. We'll see what Bun has in store for the Blossoms, but for now, it is a skimmer. Crypt of Shadows, number one from Marvel. The first of Marvel's 80th anniversary specials resurrects their 70s horror anthology comic, helmed by writer Al Ewing. Ewing teams with a trio of creepy artists for three chilling tales that all come together nicely at the end. There's even a nice back matter essay about the history of Marvel's horror comics by James Beard. Not that James Beard. (laughs) Not Chef James Beard? Yeah, I don't think so. I'm not really sure I'm interested in all of these upcoming specials, but Marvel kicked the celebration off right with Crypt of Shadows. I'm giving it a buy it. Oliver, number one from Image. This new image series was billed as Oliver Twist in a dystopian future, and I'll give it, the main character is named Oliver. But that's where the similarities end. Which isn't a bad thing Hold on, hold on, hold on. Is he poor? I mean, sure. Does he beg? (laughs) It seems like the whole world is poor, and no, he's not begging. Does he ask for more? Uh, In one scene? Yes, he does. It's Oliver Twist, buddy. Artist Derek Robertson is better than ever here, drawing his 2000 AD version of Oliver Twist with a fantastic script by Gary Whitta. Oliver certainly matches the original Charles Dickens' tale in its dark vision of London, but this time, there's an army of clones living in a radioactive future. I'm giving it a buy it. Superior Spider-Man number two from Marvel. Christos Gage, Mike Hawthorne, Wade Von Graubadger. Where's that dude been? I know. Jordi Belair. Travis freaking Cherist. I don't think I've ever seen so many big names on such a pointless comic book. (laughs) I was struggling trying to figure out why this comic needs to exist. 
And then Terax shows up. Of course he does. Which is only the tip of the ridiculous iceberg that is Superior Spider-Man. I thought we were done with the saga of Dr. Octopus trying to be a hero, but I admit it, I'm kind of glad he's back. Superior Spider-Man is goofy as hell, but it is a fun ride. I'm giving it a buy it. Is this in continuity? Yes. Oh, boy. Spider- Peter? Peter's just dealing with this? Uh, Doc Ock is, like, in San Francisco or whatever, so it's a West Coast situation. Oh, boy. Speaking of spiders. Spider-King Frostbite one-shot from IDW. Writer Josh Van Spider-King returns with a completely nuts adventure of Prolf and his gang of alien weapon-scavenging Vikings fighting an army of alien tech-infected animals. Simone D'Armini's lunatic art returns to making this comic just as insane as the original four-issue series, which is still available and amazing. Pick it up. Fantastic. Think Adventure Time meets AMC's Vikings with a giant donkey. And you're only getting close to how fun and completely nuts this comic really is. Buy it. Uncanny X-Men Annual, number one from Marvel. Writer Ed Brisson and artist Carlos Gomez solved the mystery behind the resurrection of Cyclops. This was kind of a throwback superhero action story with an explanation for Cyclops' return that I really enjoyed. Brisson puts Scott Summers on the path towards becoming the hero he once was again. Gomez's art has a classic superhero action style in the vein of Carlos Pacheco. And for the first time in over 10 years, the original Uncanny X-Men are all alive at the same time. I can't believe it's been 10 goddamn years. Yeah, and I'm kind of of excited about it. I'm giving it a buy it. Avant-Garde's number one from Boombox. This is the story of a new girl on her art school campus being recruited by an art school basketball team. No shit. While it's perfectly well executed, I'm just not sure who this comic is for other than budding young female art school athletes, which seems to be a very limited focus group. The art is cartoonish and obviously trying to appeal to younger readers, but the plot never quite comes together. All My Guards feels like it wants to be the next Scott Pilgrim, but the charm just isn't there. I'm giving it a skim. Naomi, number one from DC. Brian Michael Bendis teams with co-writer David Walker and artist Jamal Campbell for the next entry in the Wonder Comics line. Naomi follows a young girl's obsession with Superman after one of his battles briefly crashes through her small Oregon town, only to discover that she may have a connection to the meta-human world. Bendis and Walker's script is light and fun, full of the usual Bendis tropes like grids full of talking heads, but all of the characters are super likable. And Jamal Campbell's artwork is just incredible. This guy is going to be a superstar someday. Naomi number one is another hit for DC's Wonder Comics. I'm giving it a buy it. BM Bendis can't be stopped. I'll tell you what. Thwing! That is your ludicrous speed round. And thwing! It's also the sound of Green Arrow firing his grappling hook arrow. As seen in the pages of Green Arrow number 48. This arrow, arrow, arrow. P- Arrow, 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 indeed. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Brian Domingos via the THN Facebook fan page. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can thwing it our way to any of our social media or thwing us an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. People are always thwinging me emails. (laughs) Thwing me, bro. I'll thwing you later. 
As winter drags on, Matt and I find our skin becoming itchy and irritated, so we've developed a handy new humidifier for the ziggurat, powered by the ice-cold blood of frost giant children. Yeah, baby. We're calling it the Masticator, and it lives in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where it chews up frosty babies and blows pleasant humidity into our ductwork. Matt, while we step down here to feed the Masticator, why don't we talk about our must-read picks for next week? Sounds good, Joey, and I gotta say, while you're thinking, man, that sounds cruel and awful, Frost Giants are terrible fucking people. So, we're just committing some casual atrocities here in the ziggurat, it's no big deal. My pick for next week is Weird, and that's spelled W-Y-R-D. Yeah, Number dude. one. This looks from good. From Dark Horse. It's written by Kurt Pyers with art by Antonio Fuso. Where has that guy been? Here's your solicit. There are problems. Cases too strange for U.S. law enforcement to solve. Peter Weird is the one who solves them for a fee, of course. An aging, invincible detective with a penchant for the strange. Weird is the one the government calls when things go very badly and very strange. In this issue, Crimea, a failed attempt at recreating a certain U.S. super soldier. A monster roaming the countryside. A trail of bodies. Joe Patrick, what is your pick for next week? My pick for next week is Star Trek The Q Conflict, number one from IDW, written by Scott and David Tipton, with art by David Messina. It's 32 pages for $3.99. This is going to be my pick, had you not stolen it. I was going to pick weird, so I think we we covered all the same bases. Up both our butts. There we go. Yeah. When a dispute between godlike beings threatens the galaxy, it will take all of Starfleet's best captains to stop them. Join James T. Kirk, Jean-Luc Picard, Catherine Janeway, and Benjamin Sisko. Fuck you, Captain Georgiou. <laughs> As they go head-to-head in a competition that will determine the fate of the Earth and beyond. Oh, also, Scott Bakula eats shit. Nah, I don't think, I think we decided that doesn't count. Yeah, no, it counts. They name-drop no. it on Discovery. No, no. Will oh, they- Oh, shit. Does that mean Discovery took place in that universe? It's all the same universe, dude. Yeah, Enterprise takes place in the in the prime Star Trek timeline. Uh, will they be able to emerge victorious, or will they be torn apart by the Q conflict? A soon-to-be classic six-part miniseries begins here. Uh, yeah, so this is the crews of Next Generation, the original series, Voyager, and Deep Space Nine coming together to face their biggest challenge yet. It's by the uh, kind of classic ongoing Star Trek creative team, David Messina is amazing on all of these Star Trek books. He really is. Scott and David tempted too. And we just found out they're not working because Star Trek four is canceled. <laughs> so Sorry, dudes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I love a good Q story. Give it to me. Oh, man. I love Q uh, so much. Oh, I'm very excited for this. I met Q at an auto show. It was fucking kick ass. Oh, nice. The THN trade of the week goes to Battle Pug, the Compugdium. Hardcover from Image Comics. It's written by Mike Norton with art by Mike Norton and Alan Pasalacqua. Yeah. 336 pages for $34.99. Where the hell's that guy been? It's a fucking steal. Sorry, Ooh. we've been saying that a lot. I just thought I should throw it in. Oh, which I was like, Norton or Pasalacqua? <laughs> I had one. <laughs> okay. Here's your solicit at long last. Mike Norton's award-winning fantasy humor webcomic is collected in one volume. Join the last Kinmundian. 
Kinmundian as and his fateful steed, the Battle Pug, as they travel the globe seeking revenge against every giant, ridiculous animal they can find, featuring extras like sketches and art by some of the most creative artists in the business today. That could be anybody. <laughs> yeah. This collects the entire five-volume original series of Battle Pug. I love Battle Pug. I have a huge Battle Pug print that Mike Norton signed for me. It's not just because I love pugs. And I've had them in my family for a long time. Mike Norton is a badass. This book is hilarious. You have a I've full back. It. You have a full back battle pug tattoo. I have a full back battle pug tattoo. It is mm-hmm. true. So there you have our picks for Wednesday, January 30th. I cannot believe it's already January 30th. But we want to know what you nerds are reading too. So after you've moisturized all your hard to reach places, Tell us what you plan on reading next week or hit us up on any of our social networking platforms. But don't forget to make sure all of your picks are added to your profile or you'll get paper cuts on all your damn fingers. It's true. Your fingers dry out and you get paper Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a Nerd TV triple header. First up. We watched the Netflix Punisher season two before it got canceled. Joe. Did you welcome back Frank? Or did you tell him to get lost? I welcomed him back. In fact, he took up an entire afternoon. I watched, I believe, the first nine episodes. Damn. <laughs> it may have just been eight. I think it may just be eight episodes. I'm only on four, so don't go too nuts. No, here. no, no. Uh, no spoilers <laughs> for me. It, it's brand new. Um, yeah, I, I'm really enjoying it. It's kind of different. Uh, it's more of like a... Um, They've definitely struck a different tone in the fact that we are seeing a kinder, gentler Frank. At in the beginning. first. Yeah, at yeah, first. We really are. We get to see in the aftermath of the last one, Frank kind of has is a blank slate. And he sort of had a get out of jail free card because they think he's dead. Right? No spoilers, but they've part he's been pardoned by the president. With that, he sees a chance to start his life again and maybe doesn't try to but it's sort of thrust into a situation where he meets a girl she's got a kid yeah you know one thing leads to the other he doesn't know she's got a kid but one thing leads to the other they sleep with each other he wake up he wakes up the next morning the kid is there they go out to breakfast and like all of a sudden frank castle is living a normal life yeah i made a joke online that uh the first 45 minutes of punisher season two is a delightful rom-com <laughs> it kind of is. And you almost forget what a monster he is. And He's then ma- there's like Frank Castle is a straight up maniac. Yes. And then there's a scene that happens in a bar where yeah. you see the monster come back out yep. specifically one scene. And I'm not going to go anything with spoilers or anything like that, but people are getting shot. People are getting stabbed. Frank is brutalizing people like just stabbing people. And he sees someone getting beat up across from him and he turns and just goes, Hey, <laughs> like bark. Yeah. Yeah. Like right. Beast. He's got this, know? he's got this Christian Bale Batman. Yell. Oh my God. He is so fucking scary. Uh, it's like when a he dog barking. It, it's totally. like a dog barking. It, totally. And the violence is still here, but it's almost like they're filming it a little better. If I had a complaint the first season, there were things that were obviously very brutal, but they also moved extremely fast. Right. Here, I feel like the director is taking the time to show you 
that like Frank is not a badass like Daredevil. He's not moving real fast and whooping ass. He's, no. he's not Luke Cage where he's invulnerable. He's, he's not a ninja. Not at all. He's, he's just, just a highly trained man. as hell. Right. And repeatedly have these scenes where someone just punches him in the mouth. And he turns, spits blood, and looks right back at them. And it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it, he's driven. <laughs> he's not superhuman, but he's driven. He's got right. He's got an almost superhuman uh, motivation. And, and I think that's the, what they're playing on in this one. It's it's more than like he's already got his revenge, you know. And, and well, now, no. Well, sort of. I guess not. Mm, totally no. Right. In, in this series, he's finding out that he can't get away from the violence. Like, the violence is going to be part of his life, whether he likes it or not. And he's going to find himself in those situations, even when he thinks he's making the right decision and doing something good. Right. Um, yeah. So, like, through no fault of his own, Frank... Uh, it's total opposite of, of last season, where everything is instigated by Frank. He's on a right. mission. In this, like Frank is just trying to live and the trouble finds him. Right. And he ends up, you know, protecting this young girl that's on the run. And that's all it takes, man. The switch is flipped and the Punisher is back. Uh, Meanwhile, though, and if I'm recalling correctly, completely unrelated, Billy Russo, who survives the the confrontation at the end of season one, Mm -hmm. is slowly losing touch with reality. Bad things are going to happen. I don't know how, I don't remember how much has happened by the time you hit episode four, uh, but it gets worse. Uh, And by episode four, he's still wearing the mask and like trying to recall things. Which is like a therapy tool, the mask. Right. And he doesn't know where he is. He he legitimately doesn't know who he is. Right. So like, if you know anything from the comics, Billy Russo is also the alter ego of Jigsaw. Uh, so you can imagine how well this is going to go. Uh, His performance is really good. Dude. Yeah, I like the actor that's playing Jigsaw. I think it's comical how not disfigured he is. Yeah. He's still super handsome. <laughs> Well, but it, it's more like the jigsaw is his brain. Yeah, he's psychologically scarred. Right. The, the, that's how he's broken in this. Like, right, yeah, yeah. His mind is shattered. Right. And, and I think it's an interesting take. It's really cool. I just wish that his face looked like hamburger meat, man. I just wish that they went full jigsaw with it. I mean, I, that wouldn't have upset me, I guess. But like after the last Punisher Warzone movie, where we had the guy that wants to get yeah, Looney Ben like, Jim. Oh my god, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was very bad. Uh, yeah, and you know what? Who knows? I'm not done with the. Uh, I'm not done with the season yet. Maybe that. Maybe we get there. But um, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. It's kind of a slow moving, like you said. Um, you know, the pacing is very deliberate, but when it, when the action ramps up, holy shit. Right. I mean, like in the, in the first season, they obviously like, we got to know a little bit about Frank, but all we really learned about was his pain and his torture. Now we're learning about the man that is Frank Castle and the violence that follows him. And I think they're off to a great start. Same here. Absolute watch it for me. I'm loving it so far. Next up, Star Trek Discovery is back on the CBS app or Netflix, as they call it, and the whole rest of the world. And they left us hanging big time with last season's finale. Joe, what do you think of Hipster Spock? We don't actually see him in this first episode. I know. They totally screwed us. I was so ready. I know. <laughs> uh, so this. No, okay. To be fair, we saw like toddler Spock. 
Yeah, we saw young Spock. Yeah, we saw uh, young Spock. Well, so yeah, we see the moment. We see the moment where uh, Sarek and his wife uh, uh, Amanda adopt Michael Burnham, uh, who is the main character. It was really yeah. good. It was, like and it was Spock super was sweet and touching. It. And young Spock is a total shithead about He's it. He's not into it. He acts like a normal kid. He was like, "No, she's a human." I'm a Vulcan. Fuck this. What are my parents doing? Whatever. He's, he's only up. half Vulcan anyway. Yeah, but he's already embarrassed of his half vulcan You know? Like, he was embarrassed of mom. That's why he got in fights and shit. Later on, he came to grips with it and became arguably the greatest Vulcan of all time. But that's a whole different story. <laughs> right. So. That's a, yeah, a whole different debate. Uh, yeah. So this past week, uh, when we figured out what, what we were going to do for this segment, I spent... Nearly every waking moment catching up on Star Trek Discovery Season 1. Because for some reason, I'd only made it through the first five or six episodes. Oh, man. It ended so well. It ended Let me tell so you, well. That show takes you on a freaking journey. Oh, man. It is too much fun. I, I absolutely adore this new Star Trek show. I do, too. I'm thrilled to have it back. I love this crew. I love Captain Pike so much. I love Captain Pike. <laughs> I love Captain Pike and I love, okay, let me back it up. Um, at the end of the, uh, in the season finale of the first season, uh, it ends on a cliff. Spoilers, guys, come on. Uh, it ends on a cliffhanger where they have received a distress call and they can't quite tell where it's coming from. The signal's real choppy and they're trying to figure it out and what do you call it? Like the ship ID slowly starts to come across and it fills in on the computer screen and it's like NCC one seven zero. Oh yeah. It's so great. And I'm like, hold on what's happening. (laughs) And then Michael Burnham's like, it's the enterprise and you see the enterprise and it plays the theme and my entire body started convulsing with chills. It's so good. And it's then so good. the end credits, the end credits of that episode is the classic Star Trek end credits theme. Yeah. Uh, and it's it works so well. It works and so well. And the first episode of this new series starts with Michael Burnham reading the old yeah, school. At least part of it. Yeah. Right, Space, yeah. the final frontier. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, the way that they are connecting this to the old canon is so good. It really like, is. They they start to like you might be thinking if she is Spock's adopted sister, then how come he's never mentioned her? Well, well, we turns kinda, out he doesn't. Turns out he doesn't like her. <laughs> we kind of get part of that. They don't have a relationship. He doesn't. Yeah, he does not consider her his sister. He like they don't have a familial relationship in the way that she has with Sarek or or Spock's mom. And she might be dead. We don't even know. We'll see where this goes. Who might be dead? Michael, in the future. She might be dead. Oh, well, yeah, in the future, we don't know. We don't know. But yeah, I just, I love it. And I thought that this, as much as I love season one, I thought that this episode of season two, the first episode, was the most Star Trekiest that this Absolutely. show has ever been. Absolutely. We're getting more into sort of like the larger Starfleet. They're not so cut off anymore. Right. The characters are out of all the terrible shit that has happened to them for the most part and are starting to settle back into their roles. And as much as I love when they shake it up, I love when the ship is humming along even more. 
Like that's right. my favorite part of Star Trek. Oh yeah, right. Like just give me an episode where everybody's firing on all, on all cylinders and they've totally. discovered something crazy out in the galaxy. They got to go find it and figure out what it is. That's Star Trek to me, and that's what this was. Discovery is back. I'm so happy to have it. It's complete. Watch it. Now we're gonna move to something totally different. I can't get over how much I like Commander Pike after one episode. Oh my god, he's so perfect. He's like a cowboy. I love him. <laughs> Finally, the Deadly Class pilot aired on YouTube, but the series starts in earnest on Sci-Fi this Wednesday. Joe, uh, last Wednesday, actually, it, it came no. out last week. Well, the pilot aired on Wednesday, but the news, like episode two, like kicks right. off. Like this I, week. we had this conversation last week. You don't understand that the pilot is the first episode. <laughs> I get that, but we already saw it on YouTube. Everybody saw it. Joe, I actually he, didn't because they took it off of YouTube. I couldn't find it. That's your fault, jackass. I, I know. stole it from the internet. We said this one was going to be hard to pull off. Was Deadly Class Remendery enough for you? You know, I loved it. I thought it was excellent. Now, I don't remember much about the book because I fell behind and I'm not up to date. Um, but I really think that they captured the characters very well. Yeah, I reread the first six issues uh, before I watched this. Just to refresh. And I am caught up on the book, but it's been a little while since I read those. And I just wanted them fresh in my head. And I want to remember how fucked up it was, how crazy it was, how violent it was, how much drug use it was. And after reading it, I thought, there's no way they're going to go this deep and like this gnarly in the show. And then they absolutely did. Yeah. They absolutely did. This is hard as hell. This is super violent. It's Full of terrible shit happening to characters. There's a ton of drug use, and it's wonderful. They but, nailed like, these characters. But it's nailed not nailed these characters. It's not dour. No, not at all. Not you know, at all. It's not a lighthearted show. There's not really like there's not really comedy or anything. But it's also not like so grim dark that you can't. It's not like Breaking Bad. No, where you not can at only all. handle two episodes at a time because your heart can't take it. Right. Um, like, like it is was, strangely sweet. Like there's these, there's these small yeah. moments of sweetness in here that makes you like these characters that, I mean, at the end of the day, well, they're because murderers. they're kids, they're kids <laughs> though. Right. They're, they're also they're murderers. Still kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Benedict Wong, who plays like the head. I loved him. I he loved was, him. He was also Wong and Dr. Strange. He is so great in this role. Yeah. And he's perfect for what he's doing. And you, I, and you, uh, easily pick up on the fact that there's something much larger going on here in yeah, the like, story. They briefly that, touch on the very long, like centuries long history of King's dominion. Um, uh, like his ancestor was conscripted by the railroad in the, in right. back in the day to help build the railroads. And, Oh no, no, no. He doesn't specifically cite the railroads, but, um, he, he emigrated to America and found it to be, it did not live up to his expectations. Let's say no, that. but uh, they, they're essentially a line of anarchists that right. are not necessarily good or bad, but do things that they deem necessary to move history and mankind along and their, their means and their <laughs> missions may seem clouded and strange at times, but there is there seems to be a greater good involved. Yeah, Benedict Wong comes right out and says it like he believes that they serve the greater good. Right. But sometimes greater good means murdering a whole yeah, lot of people. Yeah, because sometimes people deserve to die. 
Which is an I, ongoing theme of this of this episode. The style behind this show, though, the way that it, like the Guy Ritchie kind of like quick cut action that you got. Yeah. The, the soundtrack is fantastic and researched very well. It's like all 80s underground kind of punk soundtrack. I, I actually forgot that it was a period piece. Yeah. And I was thrilled when uh, Ronald Reagan shows up. It's, yeah, he's like one of the main bad guys. Uh, <laughs> no, this was a breath of fresh air and such a wonderful show for sci-fi to get a hold of and do like this. You can see Rick Remender all over it. It is complete style with a bunch of substance. I loved this. I cannot wait for more. This is a gigantic yeah. watch it for me. It was really quite excellent and... Uh, very surprising. Like you said, like I wasn't sure they were going to be able to pull it off, but they totally did. The casting is pitch perfect. Oh yeah. I'm just uh, so happy that like Rick Remender has the amount of control that he has on this mm-hmm. and it absolutely shows through. I absolutely. Lo- I love the main kid. I think he's wonderful in that role. And oh, how great was that? Like f- that Wes Craig art flashback. Oh, totally. And it was Wes Craig drawing it. Artist Wes Craig. Well, probably not. No, I mean, it said it was, he drew it. It was animated. Oh, did they? Yeah, All right. it said animations by Wes Craig. That's <laughs> awesome. The end of it. Yeah. And he gets a production credit on it as well. So, so you know he's doing all the storyboarding and and like these characters, I don't know where they found these kids, but they look like Wes Craig drawings. Right. It's amazing how good they look. Especially like the little punk rock kid with his mohawk oh. shifted to the side and everything. They nailed it. Nailed it. They this get, is uh, fantastic. They get, ex- they get extra points from me because the actor that plays that punk rock kid, he played young Sean on psych when he was oh, really? little. I didn't know that. Yeah. When he was much younger, obviously. Okay. Uh, and that show oh, you is mean when he was young, Sean, when he was young, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, and that show is one of my favorites. And when I saw him, I got very excited. No, this was fantastic. And I cannot believe how much they nailed it. And the chances that sci-fi is taking on this, like trying to put themselves right up there with breaking bad and several other like intense cable drama, like violent driven shows, feel bad TV with style. Yeah. This was fantastic. Look, I'm saying that in the, in the era of modern comics to TV adaptations, sci-fi is three for three deadly class, uh, happy and uh, Krypton. Krypton is surprisingly good. Yeah, you know what? I, I've only, I'm behind. I've only seen four episodes of Krypton. I really like it. It's very good. <laughs> Knock sci- me over with a feather. Sci-Fi is doing a great job Way with this Way to go, stuff. Sci-Fi. This shit should be there, though. It's a Sci-Fi network, man. Come on. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 515. But before we get out of here, Joe Patrick, set up a newish question of the week. Yeah, the yeah, it's newish. New ski. <laughs> New ski. <laughs> this week's question comes from yours truly. I bought up a bunch of old comics on Comixology recently and just finished rereading the Spider Man tie ins for Acts of Vengeance, which was a line wide storyline that saw Earth's supervillains swapping enemies in an effort to overwhelm and defeat the heroes. They were swinging. Yeah, they were. It was a huge story that impacted almost every title, but you didn't have to read a bunch of other crap to understand what was going on, and there was no main event miniseries to follow. 
So, it got me thinking. What is your favorite non-crossover story event? For example, did you love it when demons invaded New York during Inferno? Or maybe you really liked those years that DC did themed annuals like Elseworlds or Year One or JL Ape or whatever. I'm talking storylines or themes where you didn't have to bounce from series to series to enjoy it and there was no main series to invest in. Fair enough. If you're new to this show and you want your listening time back, there's really nothing we can do for you, but you can waste much more time listening to us ramble and argue. You can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twoitisnerd.com. Now you got to be asking yourself, Matt, that is crazy. How can you guys possibly afford to host that many shows? Well, it's easy. We you can't. Got, it's easy when you have donors like our brand new patron, Daniel Drager. Oh, who is this idiot? I thought we were done with this. I didn't know we were still getting new ones. I thought we just only had the slaves that we tricked into this. <laughs> Daniel, thank you, sir, and welcome aboard. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Batman writer Tom King, who held a special event at Third Eye Comics in Annapolis, Maryland, to hand out free comics to fans whose jobs have been affected by the government shutdown. Word to you, Tom, that was a pretty classy move. Tom King making America great again. Good for you, brother. Don't, All right? no, don't say that. No, I mean in a good way. In a good way. Oh, like okay. truly doing it. Okay? All right. <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just shut down your paychecks for the next who fucking knows how long. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.